Hello, everyone. Welcome to Notes to My Legal Self, a place where I talk to in-house lawyers about things that they care about. And it turns out that in-house lawyers care about a lot of things. They care about substantive things like substantive law, such as privacy, uh, or how to be a product counsel. They care quite deeply about career and opportunities to grow. And then, of course, they're also human first, and they care about their community and have hobbies. All of those things we discuss on Notes to My Legal Self in an effort to show the human side of law, specifically in-house practitioners. I am Olga Mack. I've been leading this conversation for quite a while now. I'm a former in-house lawyer, the former general counsel, and it's super exciting to have this conversation with you. If you have nominations of who can contribute to a richer conversation with me, uh, someone we can all collectively learn from, let me know. I would love to invite folks uh, who are in-house practitioners all over the world, who are being themselves and showing up and doing things they love and care about and willing to share parts of their journey with us. Today, we have that person with us. Um, welcome, Louis, to the show. Please introduce yourself. Hello, Olga. <laughs> uh, so my name is Luis Sanchez de Lozada. Um, I am a director of legal counsel at Unigestion UK. I'm based in London. Right now, I am in London. Um, I uh, have the opportunity to work uh, in different uh, banks and asset managers in France and even in Bolivia, the country where I was born. You have a fascinating journey, the variety of experiences all over the world. Uh, it, it sounds like you made a fascinating journey from Bolivia to UK, and there sounds like there have been other stops along the way. So let's talk about how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, so I um, I started my career uh, in a Bolivian bank that is a well-known, that is called uh, um, Visa Bank. And at that time, a long time ago, uh, it was the very beginning of the stock exchange in Bolivia and uh, the first like asset managers were at the very beginning. And uh, at that time, uh, I really got the, the this this um, this idea that uh, I really wanted to 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 work as a lawyer in with uh, corporate matters and uh, and then with finance. So at one moment I had the opportunity to go to study in Toulouse and then in Paris and in Paris uh, I did like a PhD. Comparing in comparative, using comparative law, comparing um, all types of uh, fiduciary funds, investment companies in the world. And uh, that was published in 2012. It's a book published in 2012. And uh, it could show uh, really that I was absolutely passionate about uh, investment funds and uh, in general, corporate uh, law. Um, that that uh, since ever uh, has been like my my real uh, my, my best my best uh, choice uh, 
in the general matters of of uh, of law wow what what a journey from bolivia to paris um to uk um that is quite a journey and yes a, a you know a book along the way <laughs> congratulations on on, on 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 this wonderful journey and all the achievements along the way before to being in house lawyer where you are today um did you uh where else did you work after you uh completed your work and your book in um in paris so i work in uh different um banks like uh Odo bhf in france in paris and before i was uh working in a very uh small boutique that was doing mainly uh um esg investments uh sri impact in impact investment uh that is called fee trust also in paris and then i had many other other uh jobs uh but uh the ones i really liked was uh for example even before uh, the Visa Bank in Bolivia, I had the opportunity to uh, work with a company that is called uh, Protexa. That is a Mexican company, and we were um, building a pipeline from my city, uh, Cochabamba in Bolivia, to Sao Paulo to bring the the, the, the gas in uh, uh, from from my city to 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 Brazil. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was an excellent experience, and uh, I had a wonderful time, and I was learning a lot. It was just after my uh, admission to the bar in Bolivia, and I also uh, had the opportunity to to be admitted uh, as a as a lawyer in uh, in France as well in Paris. Yeah. Wow, what a what a fascinating journey, and. Um, I'm almost reluctant to talk about what we're actually here to talk about, which is smart contracts, because your journey is itself is, is very unique. You, you know, I don't meet a lot of people like yourself, and um, and and wow, what what a interesting journey! And I like how you retained your you know interest in bank and asset management um, in different continents and cultures and countries. Uh, it's and have been able to leverage your cultural ties and your interests to this, you know, dream career that that that's something that you enjoy. I, I just absolutely love the story. Um, you know, we want to talk about smart contracts, which is basically pieces of code that store information, verify information, and then self-execute. You know, many people compare them to essentially vending machines um, that that do that. Um, by uh, just kind of like vending machines that uh, store information that you, um, you know, that, uh, that if you put a dollar, they, they verify that it's correct and they give you a snack of choice. That's kind of how they work. Um, I'm curious, uh, how did you come in contact and, you know, for the first time uh, with smart contracts? So, um I was uh, always uh, looking for uh, new things that would be uh, for uh, in-house lawyers. And uh, I had the opportunity to, for example, discover blockchain uh, 
uh, as uh, the uh, Oxford FinTech program um, at Said University uh, here in London, Oxford. And um, from there, uh, my second, uh, second important point is that I, I realized that uh, it could be a very interesting journey of research uh, to start um, using the smart contracts to automate uh, the type of contracts or at least operational obligations in, in contracts that are going to uh, set up investment funds. And what did you do from there? I, 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 I you and I shared this moment. I, um, I used to work at a, uh, at a smart contracts protocol company that audits for security flaws uh, a few years ago, actually. Um, and um, my job was on the business side, but I could definitely see how parts of illegal contracts, maybe not entire one, but parts of it, you know, like payments provisions could be automated, how that would be a value add to the business. That inspired all kinds of work for me and partially how I ended up being in, in legal tech and the future of law. Uh, but help me understand, what, what did you do with that? You know, it sounds like you and I received the same type of information. What did you do with that information? I think it was just um, complementary to uh, this passion I have for investment funds. Uh, during my PhD uh, research, I had already the opportunity really to try to get to the substance of uh, investment funds in comparative law, uh, trying to understand uh, how they work all around the world and what are the main characteristics of, of, of the, these, these investment funds, um, trusts, uh, domestic trusts like uh, the French uh, fiducia or fideicomisos in, uh, in, uh, in Latin America and the difference of uh, fideicomiso in Argentina and Panama, they are complete, completely different or in, in the difference in trusts between the, the, the English trust and the American trust and even the Cook Islands, the trust in Cook Islands. So from there, I, I think that I always dreamed that one day uh, we could use technology to automate uh, investment companies. Uh, I was waiting for the opportunity. And when I um, really, uh, for the first time, understood uh, smart contracts as a possibility of uh, substituting the traditional contracts, I said, I'm going to literally give a lot of my time to research on this. Very interesting. So if you were to use smart contract to automate functions, where would you start? Where, you know, in doing this work, where, you know, I, I think of smart contract blockchain, very nascent technology, very fascinating with a lot of potential. Um, personally, I probably would be very reluctant to introduce it uh, as a house lawyer in my business, but maybe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. So where would you start and how would you go about it? 
first of all, um, what gave me a lot of confidence was uh, uh, the UK Law Commission report on smart contracts, uh, giving uh, to smart contracts um, more or less the same legal status as contracts. And they, this commission gave a new name to smart contracts, saying that they are smart legal contracts because all the, 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 the theory and the law that we apply to traditional contracts would be applied to uh, smart legal contracts in the UK. So from there, uh, the UK Commission went much farther and they were also um, explaining um, already the, the, the different um, ways to use smart contracts precisely to, to, to automate legal operations. So uh, what they advise is that um, in any contract you are going to to, to, to find uh, specific legal uh, operations that you can automate using the smart contracts. So um, in, for example, uh, in my case, if I want to automate a partnership, I was trying to uh, like make a list of the most obvious uh, operational obligations that could be automated uh, with the smart contracts, following uh, the principle that uh, if I write an obligation saying, if A, then B, or if A, uh, if obligation A, then execute B, it would be possible to, to use the smart contracts and automate that specific... Um, yeah, clause or part, right. Yeah, and that's yeah. what I mean. I, I think smart contract application is not at a contract level, but at a, a clause level, uh, or maybe even a sentence level uh, and sub-clauses level because you automate, you know, saying you can't automate the whole thing probably. Uh, at least I don't have the technical ability to do that. Uh, and I, I don't have imagination to suggest how. Um, let's talk about well, DAOs. Oh, okay, go ahead. Go ahead, Louis. I was saying that I, I do have the, the, the imagination to, to, to uh, more or less uh, try to, to, to automate uh, as much as possible. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, the UK Law Commission gives these three possibilities uh, for contracts uh, right now, but in the future as well. The first one is traditional um, contract, a traditional contract in human language with the execution of the, of the, of the obligations in code. Or you can go farther and do a hybrid contract that is going to be half in human language and the other half in code. And they also go even farther and they say that uh, it can be one day a contract can be in pure code. I've seen uh, 
people around the world that um, is not a I didn't verify myself, but they were telling me, for example, that they are very close to to automate an entire shareholder agreement, um, mm. and uh, and then we have uh, the example precisely that you were you were going to. It's DAOs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that DAOs do come close. So, so as we're talking about DAOs, why don't you tell us, why don't you define DAOs um, and maybe talk about different uh, different types of DAOs under the Wyoming law? Yeah. So as a lawyer, uh, I had to choose uh, the law that was available to define what a DAO is. And uh, it is very difficult to find uh, a law that would define uh, a DAO today. But I think that the, the first one and then the best one is in Wyoming. And they were very practical, simply uh, uh, a decentralized autonomous organization is in reality an LLC, first of all. So there we can, we know already how more or less an LLC is going to be. But the, the, the difference is that uh, in Wyoming, that LLC can be member managed, which means that members, they will use uh, the, the distributed uh, governance, the blockchain gives, to uh, like collectively manage the company. And this is why we say that they are decentralized and they are autonomous. But in reality, they are still, they are LLCs. And during my research, uh, and it's on my, on my newsletters on LinkedIn, uh, I realized that uh, Wyoming, also, in the same LLC uh, law, gives you the possibility to have a manager-managed LLC, which goes, uh, which is different to uh, member-managed LLCs. So, what I said is that today, in a very practical way, what I need uh, as an asset manager is just to have the possibility to constitute, like to set up funds that will be manager managed. And in Wyoming, it is possible. It is allowed. Uh, it is in the law. And there is a third possibility in Wyoming that they recognize clearly is that a DAO can also be managed 100% algorithmically by smart contracts. So it is in the law. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, DAOs do have their sort of unique governance issues that, that come with it. So that makes them really interesting uh, vehicles. Let's talk about the differences of, you know, what is the difference between the DAO and the, the smart investment fund? What, how do you kind of draw the difference? A DAO is going to be managed by their members with exactly the problems of governance that you were just 
mentioning. For example, uh, some members are going to be less active than others, and then they will have uh, more problem to take decisions permanently to manage the company. In an in a investment fund that I call smart investment fund because some of their, their legal operations are automated, there will, there will always be a manager that in, for example, in a case of a partnership, it's uh, the, the general partner. And it goes also with uh, the choice of blockchain. So private blockchains, private uh, permissioned and restricted blockchains, they organize and work much better with this kind of private uh, investment funds. For um, a DAO who wants really uh, to be public and to be completely decentralized, it is going to be rather um, in a public blockchain because they really want to use this decentralized possibility that the blockchain gives and give uh, the vote to absolute all members. And then you have uh, that main difference. And, uh, and uh, I think with a very practical, in a very practical point of view, uh, I realized immediately that financial authorities, they don't like, uh, like DAOs or even platforms that are issuing uh, security tokens in France, for example, they don't like uh, DAOs or, or these platforms when they are uh, member managed, managed by their members. They prefer when there is always one manager that is going to have the responsibility of what they are, they are doing. That, of course, raises decentralization issues uh, and in the minds of some purists. Uh, but that's a really great extension. So thank you for that. We do have quite a few folks who join and ask questions. Fleming had a number of, of, of great questions. Um, and, um, you know, that may be a, a great place to start. Um, you know, let's talk about, you know, oracles and sensors that could be an input into smart contracts. How, uh, how do they work and how can, um, how can they work in a legal contract? Whenever uh, we have uh, all the information uh, in the blockchain, smart contracts needs, need to uh, be in, in contact with uh, the environment, the external environment, with the data that is outside the blockchain. And... Uh, that is why um, oracles are important because oracles are databases that are outside the, 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 the blockchain. The, the, the data, the smart contracts need to trigger any, any, any action they are coded to do. The oracle can, can, when the smart contract asks for information about, for example, any, any rate, any, uh, yeah, any, any possible input, weather conditions, 
whether yes. location or uh, the interest rate and the market. Exactly. That, that is an external world kind of input. Yeah. Uh, and so you need the, 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 this piece you know, of Oracle yeah. to input that data in a smart contract, which exactly. is basically a vehicle for that. And it, it could be the other way around. Uh, when uh, smart contracts, they need also to execute a very specific obligation, they are going to send the order outside the blockchain to deliver, to, to pay, to do something that they were coded to do. And one of the possible ways to do that is using an external provider that will receive the, the information and will act according to the to this smart contract, to what the smart contract is, is, uh, is telling, ordering them, pay 200 pounds to uh, someone. You know, smart contracts are pieces of code. Codes have bugs. Uh, smart contracts are applications of blockchain at a, at a, at a sort of a platform level, blockchain is very secure, but as you build applications on top of it, using code, there you, you may have bugs. Um, there are some security, well-known vulnerabilities like re-entry and all kinds of things. In fact, that's why I know quite a lot about it. I used to work for a smart contract security company that built a protocol for this. Um, so that of course may, you know, as we discussed, there are pieces of code that store, verify, and self-execute um, the the code. But um, you know, if the code is faulty, if it has a bug or it has a security vulnerability, you may with end up automating some some outcome that is not desirable. Um, and hence, we see quite a lot of arguments about code is law, which I find a little ironic. Because code and law, you know, is an interesting term. Historically, this is Mr. Lessig's term that means nothing like uh, what uh, coders mean today when they talk about smart contracts. It means that institutions that we build are essentially, uh, by their virtue, uh, creating law. Yeah. The way we use this term here is very different. And I want to draw this because for, for those of us who are lawyers, that's actually a significant difference. Uh, what we're talking about is more of an issue of equity, meaning if somehow we made a mistake in the smart contract and itself execute to a bad, undesirable outcome that was not intended and it's automated, what do we do then? Um, in law, there is sort of a lot of equity rules where the judge can override uh, the contract, maybe through some form of litigation or dispute resolution. But in smart contracts, because you remember, it's a piece of code that stores, verifies on self-execute. Once the self-execution is done, uh, what do you do then? And so this code in law, and I'm going to put in quotation because it's not an original meaning, uh, is the argument that people use that you're st basically to say you're stuck with it. For those of us who are lawyers, that's like very unsatisfying thing to say. And here, Louis, what, what are your thoughts on this? You know, so, code or vulnerabilities or just sheer mistakes that lead to unintended consequences, albeit automated <laughs> and hard coded. What do you do then? 
Yeah, no, I I, I totally agree. Uh, it is a, a, a big a big subject, but at the same time, um, you know, uh, it is always uh, this because it's still a bit unknown that it is still like uh, um, you. I think that with the time we will uh, uh, try to 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 understand better. Three, three main things. The first one is that, um, for example, in the same Wyoming law, the law uh, requests clearly to the person that, 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 that is in the, in the DAO, when they have a 100% algorithmically managed DAO, to literally be able to amend the contract be able to modify when necessary the contract. If the contract is not working well, you have to be ready to act, to change. And I think it's more or less the same in, uh, in, uh, in, in traditional contracts. Uh, you always have uh, uh, addendums and, and, and conditions change, and then you need a new, a new uh, appendix. So, it is more or less the same. The second point that is more institutional for a, for a very traditional asset manager uh, or for our colleagues that are really very traditional is that, for example, the CSSF, uh, that is the, the, the financial authority in Luxembourg, they published uh, a white paper on uh, blockchain and smart contracts. And all the possible applications of of, uh, of, uh, of blockchain and smart contracts, specifically to uh, regulate regulated um, activities, so manage wealth management, and they give you clearly the conditions to uh, have the possibility to 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 be accepted by 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 the authority so for example they tell you okay before any before before putting any kind of, of smart contract live you will have to do a proper and deep audit not only from your own uh, company but also from them and uh if they are going to 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 tell you that it is okay it means that you more or less you can you can rely on it's like an authorization of the of a financial authority that is what i would say as a third point in in the uk in the uk if i really want to 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 be absolutely sure that that it is working then i will go and i will ask the the, the fca that is waiting for new, for innovation, for, for new ways to do things. And I will, I will tell him, this is my project. Do you like it or not? And they will give you the authorization to, to, to operate or not. Very interesting. Um, yeah, clearly there needs to be some form of amendment or updating, uh, in case errors happen and errors do happen. Um, very interesting. We're coming to the end. We, we don't have that much time left. We have a few minutes. Just curious, maybe you can briefly touch on what, two issues. One issue is 
Now, where do you see kind of the most interesting or exciting or easily accessible blockchain smart contracts applications for in-house lawyers? I think that there are many applications for, for in-house lawyers. I think that the main one that any in-house lawyer can do is to start uh, thinking about possible legal operational obligations that could be automated in different ways, uh, using the blockchain or using artificial intelligence. For smart contracts, anyone who has like a, a, an important amount of, of contracts of the same type, I'm sure they would know more or less what are the, 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 the obligations that are possible to, to automate the operational obligation. And then there are many other applications uh, already there. Uh, for example, uh, signature of documents that is already there using the, 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 the blockchain. You don't, need, you don't even need to do it yourself. You can do it uh, with, uh, with a service provider that, that we all know that there are many. And it is the same for, uh, for example, uh, KYC AML, uh, there will be a, a way to verify the, the, the identity and the, 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 the presence of the money, registering the, 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 the documents, the KYC and the AML in the blockchain. Yeah, very fascinating. I, I love this conversation and you and I could be talking all day, but unfortunately we don't have all day. So maybe um, in your parting words, I'm going to ask you to you know, say goodbye and give a takeaway to folks. And maybe you can focus uh, on one question that all of us are thinking when we're lawyers, do we have to learn to code? Um, that, that could be a really great way to, to uh, give guidance uh, as a part of your goodbye. If you know how a traditional work, a traditional contract, sorry, operates, works, then uh, you know uh, you know more or less what to tell to your coder to start automating these this, uh, operational obligations. I, I tell him if, I, if, if someone sends money to invest, I will, I will give back tokens in debt and in, in, in equity that, that that is going to be the, his interest in the fund. Uh, but once uh, your coder starts coding, at least you should be able to understand more or less what he's doing. And uh, because we will start with uh, contracts that will be in traditional uh, language, but already with some clauses, uh, that are automated with, with, uh, with smart contracts. At one moment, there will be pure, uh, code contracts. And that's why we should be able to start in a very natural way, uh, to start as lawyers having, taking a look at this new language, the language of the computer. It's a very fascinating field. I do think it has a lot of opportunities. And I am with you that absolutely experimenting with it is, is a way to one, learn and to find ways to make your legal practice more streamlined and, 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 and more um, effective. So thank you so much, Louis, for 
for uh, joining me um, and sharing your journey and your views on smart contracts. I very much thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. And thank you. <laughs> Very good. And um, thank you, everyone, for joining. I hope, uh, one, you have a slightly better understanding of smart contracts and DAOs. Um, and uh, I really enjoyed the mention and emphasis uh, of what's possible, both under UK law. That report I will put in the, in the link, I believe, is a really great report. There are a few other reports about smart contracts that I find enlightening. One of them is written, for example, by WTO. There are a few other ones as well. So check out those resources. I'll link them. And then, of course, um, the conversation about DAOs and the uh, revolutionary work that the state of Wyoming is doing uh, and the guidance it's providing is also very helpful. Thank you for tuning in into Notes to My Legal Self uh, to be part of this conversation. As I mentioned, this is a conversation where we talk about substantive law, career, community that in-house lawyers care about. If you have a nomination for somebody who should be part of this conversation to join me um, and contribute substantively career-wise or in any sort of way, community way, uh, let me know. I would love to have this person join and uh, we can all learn collectively. And I very much look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you so much, everyone. Bye.